Susie DeVille, author, speaker, and founder and CEO of the Innovation and Creativity Institute, is on a mission to show entrepreneurs and visionary leaders how to connect with the source waters of their creativity, hone in on who they truly are, and unlock their entrepreneurial potential. She helps business owners and creators learn and leverage the power of trusting themselves and lean into the surprising alchemy of inspired action. Her award-winning book, Buoyant, The Entrepreneur's Guide to Becoming Wildly Successful, Creative, and Free, is available wherever books are sold. Hi, I'm Casey, and right here beside me is Kelsey. We are licensed professional counselors, mothers, entrepreneurs, oh, and besties. We know firsthand what it's like to wake up one day and think, how in the heck did I wind up here? Through our own journeys of self-discovery, we found that joy is something that has to be pursued through internal work. Now we are on a mission to help women from all walks of life understand themselves more so they can have real lasting joy. Join us every Thursday to hear fun and insightful interviews with experts who can point you toward self-discovery and fulfillment. How are you? I am terrific. How are you guys doing? Good. It's nice to officially meet you. I am so excited to have this conversation and be in your juju. Oh, I love your sweatshirt. How cute. Thank you. How is your new enterprise going? It's going really well against what some people have said. It's going really well. Okay, so you got to talk about that. Uh, Well, I'm going to. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. Because my antenna just went... Yeah, I will. I will talk about that. But I want you to just briefly introduce yourself and like, tell us a little bit about what you do. So hello, everyone. I am Susie DeVille. I'm the founder and CEO of the Innovation and Creativity Institute. And I help entrepreneurs and visionary leaders connect with their innate creativity, discover who they truly are, and unlock their entrepreneurial potential. And I'm also the author of a book called Buoyant. The Entrepreneur's Guide to Becoming Wildly Successful, Creative, and Free. So before we jump in, I I have to know, where are you in the world right now? I am in the mountains of North Carolina, which is where I grew up and have spent the majority of my life. It's a little town called Highlands. We're a mountain resort community and tiny little place, but very cosmopolitan at the same time and it's absolutely gorgeous here we love north carolina yes we do you have to come visit we will we're actually coming there in a couple of weeks i have to record my audiobook but every time i hear of you or or see anything from you i always imagine you're in paris france just like up on a balcony painting and doing something (laughs) (laughs) that's what i see in my head Well, I'm actually heading to Paris in five weeks, actually. So I'll be in Paris for about 10 days. I'm doing a VIP retreat for a client and then a regular retreat and also having fun. And then I'm going to Rome and then Amsterdam and then I'll be back. Oh, that sounds like a good time. Uh Yeah, I'm jealous. I'm jealous. So when I heard about your book and the topic of your book, It really resonated with me. And I don't know how much you know, but I'll give you just a very short version. So I started my first business back in 2015. It came out of, um, I don't know, what's the the word I'm looking for, Kelsey? Like it came out of a place where 
I felt like it was necessary. I needed to do my own thing. Like I needed to be in control of my own future and all of that stuff. It worked out really well and it and it's been very successful. But about 10 years into it, I a lot of things ha- were happening and a lot of things had happened. But it was so weird because just little times I would have conversations with people or t- these topics would come up about like hobbies. What is it that you love doing? And I was like, I don't, nothing. Like, I don't, <laughs> I work. So as I was writing the book that's getting ready to launch, I had to kind of go back to childhood and track different types of events and track different feelings and emotions and, and it, all of those things. And what I realized that the the main difference that had happened between my childhood and my adulthood is I had lost my creativity. When I was a kid, like I was in all of the gifted and talented programs for for the arts. I loved to draw. Portraits were my favorite thing to do. I would paint, crochet, sew. I mean, literally everything you could imagine. And After, like I said, I started my business about 10 years. I was just, I looked around and I was like, I have nothing on my walls in my house. There is no artwork. There is nothing creative. You remember? Yeah. See what I'm talking about? Yeah. And it just felt like there was this emptiness that I had been in my mind. I thought, well, I don't have the space for that because I have to make money. And, but I was just like neglecting a whole side of me that. Something that you're talking about right now that reminds me of our, like, one of our very first podcasts, Casey and our friend Nate were talking about, well, we were in art club or we we did art all the time and we were, like, the kids. The art kids. The art kids. Mm -hmm. And Casey's like, I don't know why I don't do that anymore. And it was kind of cool because I've got to see her evolve from writing the book to also having conversations and, like, living it out to opening a pottery studio. Yeah. I'm sure you see that a lot, though. There are so many cultural messages that tell us that art is insignificant, that what really matters is working hard, having a lot of discipline, amping up your productivity, deciding that we can sleep when we're dead, and that art is some kind of crafty thing that children do or people who are retired do. And that there's no inherent value to it. It's just kind of messing around. And what happens as a result is that we absorb this sort of philosophy of ourselves that if I'm not achieving, I don't have value. So when it comes to tapping back into our creativity, we have to go over those obstacles that have been placed upon us through cultural messaging could have been from well-meaning parents, peers, teachers. We could have had what Brene Brown calls a, a an art scar. So where someone had shamed something that we made and we just decide, oh, I'm this world's not for me. I'm going to stick to sports or academics. I have a lot of clients who find themselves in the latter stages of, uh, of an enterprise and they're vastly successful. They nail success, but they have no color, joy, 
or freedom, true freedom in their lives. So it is very common and it's easy to reclaim it if we're willing to just first let ourselves be inspired by those things that bring us alive. And then we can move into some very easy daily practices to sort of fan the flames. That ember is still there and it doesn't take much to rekindle it. What do you think about that? I'm just thinking you said something about like the cultural component and how like a lot of times like success and increasing your productivity, it's a very external thing as well as internal. But art and creativity is very internal and it's something that you have to be doing for like your own personal joy rather than doing it for somebody else's praise or acceptance. And so that's what that made me think of. It made me think of a lot of things. First thing that came to mind so our the mental health group that we're at right now recording this podcast, that's the first business I started back in 2015. And a few years ago, we did painting. So all of our office staff came in and we and we painted something that we were putting on the walls of the lobby. And Jackie, she's our CFO. She was like, I'm not doing it. And I was like, yeah, you are. <laughs> Sit there and paint. And she's like, no, I can't. I'm not, I'm not artistic. I can't, I can't, I can't. And I'm finally, I was like, just freaking paint something. You know, I was, we were all about to kill her at that point. This went on forever. So we all go about our business, like painting our own little things. And then she gets finished and she brings hers up to me. And it's this purple background, like the whole thing's purple. And it's written, Jackie. She wrote wrote her name in black. And I was like, okay. So I put it right in the middle of the wall. She didn't think I was going to hang it up because she actually just painted her name. But it still looked good. But just how people get so locked into, I'm not artistic. I can't draw. <laughs> I can't. And Jackie is such... Jackie she is, is very, who I used to be. But she is very artistic. I know. She just doesn't see it. She is so outcome-based. It's like, oh, you know, she's so focused on the outcome that she's not allowing herself to enjoy the moment. Okay, I got to jump in because you just nailed it. That is exactly the plague that consumes all of humanity. And that is... If I cannot reproduce something in the world that looks realistic, I am not an artist. I have no talent. So there's that component that art in our minds has a very narrow definition. The second piece that you just so beautifully pointed out is that we believe that the purpose of creating something is the thing, the outcome. And you may love what you make. You may not like it. It doesn't matter. The thing that is so crucial is what happens to us when we are in that zone of making something, when we are moving our hands and we are connecting into our intuition, our imagination, our creativity back channels, there are all kinds of things happening in the brain that have nothing to do with what we're typically wired for, which is survival, flight, or fight kind of mode. When we cross that threshold, 
whether we're doodling with a crayon or painting something or sketching something or doing pottery, whatever it is, when we cross that portal and into that space, we are now unleashing all kinds of access to things that we typically do not enjoy, do not connect with. And what happens to us is this full body, full spirit renaissance of how we move in the world, how we see ourselves. We unleash an all kinds of courage. And here comes the woo-woo part. When we start to build the musculature for courage, we can tolerate the unknown. So challenges that used to keep us on the sidelines, we're more readily able to take on those challenges and feel the courage to actually attempt things. But when we make that leap and cross that threshold, that signals something in the universe that answers with synchronicity. So it is nothing but a joyride. No matter what you make, again, whether you like it or not, it's completely immaterial. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm going to call Casey out here just a little bit. I'm thinking about the two books that you've written, one that has already came out and one that's about to come out. But in the first book, I think it was more outcome driven. And this new book, it's been interesting because I've watched her be very creative and had to dig deep into depths of herself that typically like the outcome achieving self would never be able to meet. So I think it's interesting you wrote a book when you were definitely hooked on outcomes and actually in therapy while you were writing your book, you realized that's what you were attached to. Yes. So interestingly enough, the one thing as I was writing In Search of You, like what Kelsey said, I was also going through my own personal therapy, which I had never done before. And all of the things that you just described was me. And I was just thinking, that's just like Jackie, like all of those (laughs) things. And that was me. (laughs) And I came to this epiphany during one of my therapy sessions when my therapist was like, hey, basically, you need to stop attaching yourself to outcomes because it's it's stealing your joy. And I'm sitting there thinking. What do you mean? Like, I, I'm an entrepreneur. I have to be attached to outcomes. Like, I, and she was like, no, you don't. <laughs> no, you don't. And so the more that I worked through that, that's kind of when I started getting more into gardening and like planting, getting, get my hands dirty and getting out into nature and doing more artistic things. Um, so it did all come full circle, which is really cool. Yeah, that was my brain's way of working, working that out. Yeah. And it's a perfect example of the fact that you have left what I I refer to my left brain strategic trains running on time self as clipboard Susie. That part of me is the necessary part to run an enterprise or multiple enterprises and do lots of things and ensure that my clients needs are met. And that systems are created, et cetera, et cetera. That is a great part of us. But we spend the vast majority of our time in that part of our brain. And when I leave Clipboard Susie behind and 
enter explore Susie mode, which is what you did with your second book, you took yourself on a journey. You went on what I call a creative rebel's voyage, and you tapped into all different strata of you that comprise the entirety of you that perhaps have been buried for years and years and years. It's all right there, though. It doesn't leave us. We don't have to go out and search for it. We just have to remove what is not us and be clear about what is coming from other people in terms of expectations. What have we put on ourselves in terms of perceptions of, of responsibility and duty outcomes? And we release that attachment and we recognize that, oh, everything just got so much easier. This path to success and freedom is not paved with sweating and toiling and being miserable. It's paved with the more I connect with myself, the more I connect with my ideal clients, and the more resonant my messaging is, and the better I can articulate it. I got to bite You're the bullet here. You're at the bit. I'm she's, she's like, So do you remember the conversation that we had in two rooms over from here when we were talking about, it's like I was looking at myself and I saw myself in a grave. Yeah. Do you remember that? Uh-huh. That symbolizes so many things, and that was a part that was supposed to be in your book, may have made it. I don't, I'm not really sure. But you didn't have to be a grave digger. You just had to dig in deep to like your inner self. And a lot of times I think we make it harder than it has to be. Yeah. And we go out searching for who we truly are because that's easier. You know, it, it feels easier. It's not easier rather than just looking in and giving ourselves permission to to experience those kinds of joys. And I can't even tell you how many people over, you know, that that I haven't had a lot of communication with or maybe lost touch with in the past year or two that I've finally been able to connect with. And they they have almost all said, you feel so much lighter. And that's mm-hmm. the word they use, lighter, mm-hmm. lighter. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, huh. Yeah. I do. Like I I do. It every it just it doesn't feel so serious. Life doesn't feel so serious anymore. And the funniest thing is the second book is a very serious book. But because you got to be in this creative realm and you kind of got to just take it at your own pace and do your own thing, you mm-hmm. produce something I think that's going to be far greater than anything before. About your book, was AJ a big part of your editing process? She did a very nice developmental edit for the manuscript. I came in with over 100,000 words. And it was what I described was, well, you'll love this analogy. It was like a gloppy lump of wet clay. (laughs) And it was an organizational (laughs) disaster. And through taking her workshop and also having her in the balcony guiding me and also going through the manuscript too, I was able to take out about half of it and then reorganize. And also then I added back in probably about 25,000 words, but she was integral to that entire process. And 
the day that I nailed whom I was writing the book for, I felt as if, you know, somebody had pulled the thorn out of my paw and I was standing in the kitchen juicing celery and crying because I was so (laughs) elated because then I could see how the whole thing hung together. I could see the thread, all the threads, every, the big ideas, all the connecting elements, it was all right there. And so, yes, she was absolutely critical to that process. She's really bragged on your book and your writing ability. And we've, we've talked about you. She helped me a lot with the second book and she would mention you quite a bit. And she said, about mine she was like casey (laughs) really nervous acting and you know how she gets like she starts to slow down and like pause and and i'm thinking oh shit like this is gonna be really bad but she said i've never seen this structure before in a book i've never and she said so i think that your book is either going to be really really good Or really, really bad. (laughs) She she didn't really use that that word, but I'm thinking, yeah, it is. And but at that point, you know, there it was so much of my just creative spirit in it that I wasn't Mm going to change it. I don't think that I would have had that confidence and that courage that you spoke to earlier if those if I had not allowed myself to tap back into that creative piece. I personally, shout out to AJ. I love her. I'm thinking about you two, like, taking whatever AJ has done her little voodoo and you guys juicing some celery and crying together Mm -hmm. because every time she left a meeting with AJ, she's like, I'm like, how did it go? And she's like, I don't even know how to take it. (laughs) (laughs) I have really thick skin. So, I mean, she kind of, we had worked together for long enough where I would just, just tell me and she'd be like, okay, this makes no sense. I have no idea what you're talking about. (laughs) I'm like, okay. I want to talk about, I want to go back to what your friends are picking up from you in terms of this new lightness of being, which is exactly what happens when we tap back into our creativity. What I think is so fun and so fabulous is people can all of a sudden feel us before we even engage with them. Someone is going to see the cover of your book and feel it. Someone is going to see the logo for your new enterprise and feel it. Someone is going to read one sentence online that's on a tweet that has to do with the core message of your book, and they're going to get it. It's this new, powerful way that we can communicate that leaps over the prefrontal cortex and goes right into the heart and the soul. And so we don't have to shout and do cartwheels and you know, whatever it is to try to garner attention and pierce that din of all of the stuff distracting us because your authentic self is shining so incredibly powerfully. We cannot help but pick up on all of that. And the converse is true. If someone is pretending to be something they're not or on the gerbil wheel of productivity, and starving themselves from joy and fun and wonderful adventures, 
but they have a beautiful, shiny facade, we can still, we can go, you know, that's, something's wrong there. I don't, something's not, our antenna are very sharp. And so it becomes, the more connected and fun and playful we are, the more people want to be in our circle and are so deeply inspired by the modeling that we do, the behavior we exhibit, not whatever flashy thing is the taste of the moment or the trend of the day. Yeah, that makes total sense, don't you think? Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, I I just think people they get so they get so tunnel visioned on outcomes and success and goals that they are really missing out on joy. And I try to talk about that a lot in the book is that you you can have both. It doesn't have to be either or. Unlocking that creativity, I think, makes you a better business owner. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Like I tell people, so started the pottery place a couple of months ago, oh, a month ago. This is like tomorrow will be the end of the first month. It was just really something that, well, you know, I had to do the rational thing and like, okay, can I make this profitable? <laughs> and I knew that it wasn't going to compare monetarily to the other businesses, but it was something that felt like, okay, this this is something that I need to do. But when people will come in there and they're painting and they'll say, well, this is this doesn't look very good or this, you know, whatever. I'm like, look, if you wanted something that looked perfect, go to Hobby Lobby and buy it for five bucks. You know, you're making something that is unique and it's going to be perfect no matter what. And this one, she she's bad about that, too. Yeah, I have something that's kind of goes back to what she was. Go saying. ahead. Well, back to your friendship thing and how people have noticed you later. Casey, her friends used to call her a cactus. And uh. I, for the last two years, nobody has called you that. No. Maybe that's your lighter coming through. Yeah, I had a lady yesterday or day before yesterday. She's probably old enough to be my mom. She came up to me and she's been working over at the pottery place a little bit. She's like, can I hug you? I mean, normally I would have ran, like ran in the other direction. And I was like, sure. <laughs> and then and then uh, she's like a really long hugger, you know? So I was like, <laughs> and then uh, it's like, but why? <laughs> why did you need to hug me? She said, I just wanted to. It's <laughs> like, okay. It's just a different, I don't know. It's It's more out of my head and just into maybe my body more. Mm-hmm. Than- but it's really cool, and I think the message that you are putting out into the world is so very much needed. Definitely. Thank you. Really, it's a joyful quest because when I was in my nuclear winter period, which was 2008 to 2013, and I tried to work my way out of it. I tried to just double down on all the things that I had been doing, and when I realized that wasn't going to work, that I was just digging myself into a bigger pit. I made a promise that if I could ever extricate myself from all the messes I was in, that I was going to reach back and I was going to help as many people as I possibly could. And what's really fun is that I'm able to help these hard-charging entrepreneurs and leaders 
enjoy the grace that you just described and the ease and the calm. There's a whole new galaxy of ways to move in the world once you take those first few steps and just let it not be about value and product, but let it be about, I wonder what's going to happen in here while I'm in here in the zone. And let's just, let's be curious about it. And the most surprising things happen when we pull the ego out of the process. I make my best art and I write my best words when I am out of the picture and I'm just tapped in and connected into some kind of channel that I honestly don't fully understand. Yeah. Do you have a certain kind of music or anything that you listen to while you're being in your creative zone? I. <laughs> I listen to, so in the morning when I'm doing my morning pages, I listen to classical music and jazz. And then when I'm doing art, it's more in the realm of um, kind of like the theme from Inception. You know, it's big cinematic Again, no words, but like a big cinematic kind of sound. But there are other times, like I'll whip out good old Axl Rose for <laughs> some collage, like the piece that I have behind me, this side. This is a collage that I did that was inspired by an artist by the name of Casimir Malevich. And that was an Axl Ro Rose fest, sticking all that down. I love it. I love it. Yeah, I think I, I do I do much better if I can get myself into that. I just have to get into that zone and then I'm good. It just music can get me there faster. So I was curious. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, can you do us a favor and tell people how they could get in touch with you if they were curious and wanted to know more? Absolutely. So the easiest way is to go to my website, which is innovationandcreativityinstitute.com. And from there, you can connect with me on all the social channels. And you can also sign up for my newsletter there, as well as some free tools. And I am creating something just for the besties. So if you go to innovationandcreativityinstitute.com, forward slash bestie and there'll be all kinds of free tools and goodies for everybody i will Should definitely be the first one. <laughs> that's awesome well i appreciate you so much the work that you did on that book is phenomenal i might go read and i'm not a reader no. typically follow so her, follow her on social media i definitely am going to you you will thoroughly enjoy all of her stuff i definitely will it's an easy way to get started, especially if you're overwhelmed, because there are little exercises through the book that take you from the shallow end of the pool gradually toward the deep end. So it's not a big shock. I mean, I don't just chuck you in the ocean right off the bat, but it helps to acclimate us and leave that clipboard version of ourselves in a sort of kind and gentle way. Love that. Okay. I'm excited. Wonderful. It was so nice meeting you and chatting with you. Thank I you. think the besties will love this. They will love this. Thank you, Susie. 
Thank you. I appreciate you guys. Take care and good luck with everything. Thank you. You too. Thank you. If you're enjoying our podcast and would like to hear more from us, leave us a review wherever you get your podcast so we can keep making great content. Talk to you later, besties.